A number of you mentioned at the door last couple of weeks that your favorite book in the Bible is James. Mine too. I like theology. I, I like reading it. I like studying it. And we get into stuff like anthropomorphisms and predispensationalism and those kinds of words. That's all makes us sound so smart and so sophisticated. What I like about James, it's the nuts and bolts of the Bible. It's the meat and potatoes of the Bible. If I had to preserve one chapter out of the whole Bible that talks about how to live life, it would be James chapter 1. We looked at the first part of that chapter last week, James 1, 1 through 12, where James started off with this rather strange statement, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why would anybody do that? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials? Because James says trials are what God uses to develop our faith. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, grit, guts, tough faith. When you face those tough trials, those difficult situations, your faith kicks in. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, because you will. Various trials of many kinds. See, trials come in all kinds, various fashions and forms. And they come at us sometimes very fast and in quick succession. And they take our breath away. They startle us. They hurt us. They make us afraid. Otherwise, they wouldn't be trials. But he said trials of many kinds. So not all trials are huge. Sometimes a trial is a very minor pressure in our life. As we said in our men's Bible study, we studied the book of James, and a couple of the men said, you need to preach that stuff. And I said, oh, yeah, why not? And we said, anything from cancer to a hangnail can be a trial. It can put pressure in our life of how am I going to respond to this? could ruin my whole day if I let it. For trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its complete result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If anyone lacks wisdom, let her ask of God, who gives to all of us generously and without reproach. And it will surely be given. James says, when you ask for wisdom, God gives it generously. And he will never reproach you. He'll never say, weren't you here yesterday asking for that stuff? How much of that do you want? He will never reproach you. He will never scold you for asking for wisdom. And then he goes on to the next part of the next few verses and talking about how nobody is immune, whether you're humble already because of your circumstances or whether you're arrogant and proud because of your circumstances and feel you don't need God for anything. You don't need faith. You've got it all put together. Your ticket is stamped. So it doesn't matter. Everybody, rich, poor, smart, not so smart, everybody, has trials. 
And then he capped that first part of chapter 1 off by saying how blessed is the person who perseveres, who hangs in there under trials. Because once that person's faith has been approved, they will receive a crowning quality of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love. So what James is telling us, and, and, and to, to, to process the book of James, you have to understand that James was a Jew writing to Jews. And Jews loved Proverbs. Jews loved veiled truth. Solomon used them. Jesus used them. His parables hide the truth. You've got to think about it. You've got to listen. You've got to say, what in the world is he talking about? And James uses that format of wisdom literature in this book of James to force us to come back and say, in fact, the way he opened it, why would anybody say, count it all joy when you encounter various trials? James says, you're going to have to think about that one. In this first chapter, you can't get it if you don't think about it, if you don't see it as wisdom literature. And what James is saying in this first part is God uses the difficulties that come into our life, various kinds. He uses those trials to develop us into better people. And if we respond properly to trials, if we increase our faith, our belief in God, our commitment to the faith system, by exercising it, we develop a quality of life that is perfect and complete, lacking nothing. A crowning quality of life. So James says, when, next time you have a difficulty, a trial, say, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? What part of my faith are you trying to help me exercise and develop? Faith is like a muscle. We take it into the gymnasium and we lift the weights and the muscle gets stronger. And James says, trials are the weights that God uses to develop your faith, to help you live the crowning quality of life where you're perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if you need wisdom to help you figure out the trial and what's going on in your life, ask God and he will give it to you generously and he will never scold you for asking. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Violins, Montevalli, ain't this beautiful? And it is. And then, dun, 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 chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is finished, it gives birth to death. So verses 1 through 12, crowning quality of life. Verses 13 through 18, death. Death of a relationship. Death of joy. The awful, devastating consequences of sin. Now, what's interesting is the word that's translated trials in verses 1 through 12, pyrosmos, is the same word that's translated temptation in verses 13 through 18, the verb form pyrazo. It's a strange word. It's a powerful word. But all it means is pressure. All it means is, is testing. It's something that's put there to, to bring 
tension and pressure in your life. It's a word with two very different meanings. It's sort of like our word trunk. It can mean the front end of an elephant or the back end of a car. Or that big box in the attic where grandma's wedding dress is stored. And if somebody asks you to put the trunk in the trunk, and you don't put it in its context, and you try to put it up an elephant's nose, you're in some deep yogurt. So we just sort of automatically make the difference because it's our native language, or most of us, and, and we get the context and we say, if you ask me to put that box in the trunk, I recognize you probably mean the back of my car, not the front end of an elephant. Well, that with Pyrazzo, these people in their original language, they were able to discern that. But us non-Greek readers, we have to stop and think, what's he saying here? Well, what James is saying is the same event, the same set of circumstances that come into your life can either be a trial that God will use to develop you, or it can be a temptation that Satan will use to destroy you. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that God is using God will use, God can use this event in your life to help you grow into a better person. But that same event, verse 13, let no one say when confronted by a pyrosmos, a trial, a difficulty, a pressure, bad news that my friend passed away, that I didn't get that job, that I have a hangnail. I have to respond to that. It puts a little pressure. What am I going to do with that? Some of these trials are so vast that they test our faith in God's love or God's existence or God's power. If God loves me, why would this happen to me? And I have to go back and review and rehearse and rethink. Do I really believe this? And I don't know about you, but every time I go through that, and I have gone through it, and I do go through it, wake up some morning and say, I wonder if any of this is true. I'm going to go back and review and think, why do I believe that? What, what's... I always come out stronger. It reaffirms my faith. I become a better person in my relationship with God because I say, yes, I do believe God exists. But faith is also used in another way. It's the faith system. We talked about this last week. The just, the godly ones, live by the faith system. The Ten Commandments that say you will do these things and you will not do those things. The Sermon on the Mount that tells us how we should live our life. So there are lots and lots of instructions that we, by faith, say, I believe this is how God wants me to live. But then there are those times when that Lifestyle puts pressure on me. Somebody asks me a question, and if I shade the truth a little bit, or if I just flat out lie, it makes me look better, keeps me out of trouble. But my faith system says you can't do that. My faith system says you tell the truth. And so there's a pressure there. I know what I should do. I know what I want to do. I know what I feel like doing. And you say, what's the difference? This thing comes up. What's the difference? How do I know if it's a test or a temptation? 
I heard a story about a baseball umpire. Bottom of the ninth. Last play of the game. Guy slides into home. Close call. Umpire standing there. Somebody says, well, what is it? Is he safe or out? Umpire says, it ain't nothing till I call it. <laughs> Actually, it was a ball or a strike. No, it's safe, but blew the joke, but you get the point. <laughs> and you ask me, is this a trial or a temptation? And James would say, it ain't nothing till you call it. How am I going to respond to this situation in this moment? When all my hormones say, keep that thought going. And my faith system says, you should not let your mind go there. When all my hormones say, I can't wait to pick up the phone and share this little juicy piece of gossip. And my faith system says, no. Don't do that. Got my W-2 this morning. Taxes. <laughs> I see some folks grinning. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> I could save a few bucks and, you know, that... You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one that lives with this? No. <laughs> You're just as rotten as I am. Yeah. So, so you, you see the point James is making here. And he's not talking about highfalutin theology. He's talking about hundreds of times every day. We make these choices. These choices. Am I going to let my feelings be hurt and pout? Am I going to get mad at that person? Am I going to try to pay that person back? I'm going to spread that news that I, it's none of my business. Over and over and over again. We, uh, so, so let, me, uh, let me read this again, this passage here in James 13. Well, start with verse 12. Blessed is the person who perseveres, who hangs in there, who guts it out under the pressure of a trial. Who says, I know what my hormones are telling me. I know what my faith system is telling me. And I'm going to make a choice. It can be a huge cataclysmic event in life. Or it can be something as simple as letting my mind get furious over that guy who's going too slow in front of me in the left lane. Which is one of mine. Because having stood the test, having said, I'm, faith wins. I'm going to do what I know God has taught me to do in this book. Even though all of my feelings want to do the other. Because having stood the test, that person will receive a crowning quality of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Where has God promised that crowning quality of life? Where is that someplace specific in the Bible? Yeah. Verse 4. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says, that's your first choice. Verses 1 through 12. Hang in there. Breathe that prayer to God. Give me strength. Remind me of who I am. Remind me of who you are. Let my faith stay strong. Because when it stays strong, it gets stronger. And every time I go through one of these moments, James says, my faith gets stronger. So that beautiful thing at verse 12 is, uh, mm, when I am tested, when a pyros moss, a test, pressure comes into my life, if I respond to it by my faith system and I respond to it because I actually do believe in the almighty sovereign God, the Lord has promised this crown and quality of life. Then, now, when that test comes, when tested, when you're facing that thing, no one should say, God is tempting me. God has brought this thing into my life to tempt me. No, God brought that into your life to test you. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now, there's a verse in Hebrews that says Jesus has been, and uh, I counted them this morning, nine English translations say tempted. Two say Jesus was tested. It's this word pyrazo. And, and in a sense, I get that Jesus was tempted until I read the rest of the verse. That when you're tempted, let no one say, God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does he himself tempt anyone. Well, then, where does temptation come from? Each one is tempted when drawn away by his own lust. And it's the picture of a lure, a worm on a hook. When he is lured, drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Oh, that would feel good. That would make me look good. I can hear her laughing now when I tell her that gossip. That as pastor, I probably shouldn't be telling her. But wouldn't it be fun? By the way, I have a rule. Nobody hears it from me first. <laughs> but that goes on. The hormones, the, these, those things. I know it's wrong. I know it's bad. But it feels so good. And that draws me away. It lures me away. And I'm enticed. And then when lust has given birth, this horrible, ugly, scary baby called sin comes into my life. And when sin finishes its work, it brings forth death. Just like in the Garden of Eden. If you eat of that tree, it's going to be attractive. Satan is going to make it beautiful. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It tastes good. It looks good. And death entered the human race. And the death, I, you feel it? I hope you're still sensitive enough. 
that when you do blow it, do this thing called sin, there comes some point where you say, I have violated myself. I have offended my God. I have potentially devastated another human being. God makes provision. He says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. But that's not an invitation to sin. James said, be, be careful with this. So, something comes into your life, you have this moment of choice. Now, I was writing some things this morning about... Uh, you know, I was thinking about this early this morning, some illustrations of this. I know I should not lie, but I want to. I know I should not gossip, but I want to. I know I should not indulge lustful thoughts, but I want to. I know I should love my enemy, but I don't want to. I know I should give generously, but I don't want to. I know I should pray, but I don't. And then the writing gets very light. Because my pen was running out of ink. <laughs> and at the top of this page, there's some, you know what you do when your pen is running out of ink? So there's some scribbles there. And then right here, there's some indentations. It actually goes through the paper. <laughs> or I was going, Nyeh! And then, I said, I should throw this pen across the room. I'm kind of a passionate guy. <laughs> it was a moment. And I was heading in the wrong direction, 13 through 18. And I said, I'm writing a sermon to preach in church from a pulpit from the Bible on this topic, and I'm violating it as I'm preparing it. <laughs> so what does that leave me when I'm watching a program on TV and something's going on there that I should probably not indulge myself in? If a simple thing like this can lead me astray, and I'm a preacher, <laughs> I get paid to be good. You've got to be good for nothing. <laughs> so what James is saying, what it all boils down to is this. Does your mind take control or do your hormones take control? 1 through 12, your mind governs. You say, I do believe this. I do believe in God, and I believe in this faith system of life. And I believe what James is saying. My life grows richer and deeper and better and more productive if I live it by faith. And when I violate my faith and I let my hormones win, I lose big time. So how do we control this mind? I know we pray. I know we hopefully have accountability partners. 
to help us. I know we read our scriptures. But what it boils down to is the discipline of the mind. Now, if I quote Aristotle and Plato, you think I'm a scholar. If, if I quote Gandhi or Buddha, you think I'm a heretic. So I'm going to venture forth here. I'll probably get some emails on this, but that's all right. <laughs> the most helpful thing I have encountered in helping me toughen up my mind is Buddha's eight steps. It's presented in the... I should have written his name down. Huston Smith's book, World Religions. It's written many places, but the best presentation of it is Huston Smith's. And, and I have a thing in the front of my daytimer thing. It's a notebook that I carry around. It just reminds me of... of and and it, it, is, it sounds like Proverbs. It sounds like James. Now, I'm not suggesting you become a Buddhist. <laughs> Definitely not. But whatever you can do and I can do that helps us discipline the mind discipline the mind that when those trials of many kinds hit my system I don't follow the hormones I follow what I know to be true from God's word because uh, it's what life is made up of yeah, it's made up of Many things, but it's made up of those daily, time after time, numerous little choices and big choices that I make. I have a friend named Randley Ridland. He's an artist. He does landscapes. One day I was going to have lunch with Randy. I went to his house to pick him up and went in. And there was a new picture on the wall. And I went over to look at it and, and I noticed that it wasn't painted. That what Randy had done is use a stylus, a little pen and he just made that thing with dots sort of like your computer screen all these little dots and Randy painted that picture out of individual little dots and I thought that's how life is formed it's by time after time after time day after day moment by moment I have a choice. I have a pressure. Do I do 1 through 12 or 13 through 18? Which way do I go? And James says, if you, this paints a beautiful portrait, this is a beautiful picture. This is an ugly mess. So, yes, think in the broad scope. Think in the big picture of your life. But think of the moment to moment to moment pressures that come in and does my faith kick in because I believe it or do my hormones take over and I add another step of destruction to the life that God said could be perfect and complete lacking nothing a crowning quality of life by saying I'm going to live my life the way God wants me to live. Now, James didn't abandon us yet. Verses 19 through the end of chapter 1, he says, this is the key, the absolute key, to you over time consistently making 
the right choice. We'll talk about that next week. Come back. And sometimes like this come to mind in those times of trial.